One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Stephen. And on this week's New Statesman podcast, Helen is on holiday again. I'm joined by Sienna Rogers of Labour List to discuss who's up, who's down in the elections to the Labour Party's ruling National Executive Committee. And then you ask us, why is Labour holding a free vote on Heathrow expansion? So I'm joined by uh, Sienna Rogers off of Labour List. Now, obviously, If there's one thing the Labour Party likes more than abstaining, it's money for the NHS. So you must be feeling thrilled by the Brexit dividend. So thrilled, yes. <laughs> so should we should we start by explaining what what's happened here? <laughs> yeah. So for for those of you who had the, the good fortune not to read the Sunday papers, Theresa May has announced uh, that the NHS will receive extra money to the tune of twenty billion by twenty twenty two, twenty twenty. Three? No, 22, I think. 22, yeah. Which will be financed by the Brexit dividend. And it's more than was promised on the side of that bus, or coach, rather. So it's more than 350 million a week. 340, 394 million, yeah. something like that. And it works out to about 3.4% extra spend per year for the NHS. Now, of course, the immediate problem is that It is, although it's theoretically possible, we could have a Brexit dividend at some point. You know, it could turn out that everything that we commonly suppose to be true about trade flows um, and economic growth turns out to be wrong and we have a massive Brexit bonanza. However, I think the one thing we can say with 100% certainty is that the Brexit dividend will not arise until after we have Brexited, which means that it will not pay for health spending in 2018 <laughs> from now till 2022 yeah, yeah it doesn't make any sense i think so there's, there's several layers obviously first is the tories have accepted here that the nhs is in crisis and needs more funding and that in itself is quite interesting and it's both good and difficult for the labor party so on the one hand uh the fact that they've accepted that labor labor's narrative on the nhs Um, is good, right? We're forming a new consensus. That's a good thing because obviously Labour will always win on the NHS. But on the other hand, if the Tories are successfully detoxifying their brand in terms of their record on the NHS, not great for Labour. I think ultimately, if 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 elections are if an election is about the NHS, right? Obviously, like a, all elections are a contest for what the election is about, what the question. They want the voters to have. When the election is about the NHS, the Tories will always lose it. What they did successfully in 2010 and also 2015 and to a lesser extent was effectively go, look, 
although you trust them all with us, you don't have to actively worry about it. And that was the whole point of the NHS free uh, of the you know of the of the not freeze. The other thing which end with an e, ring fence. <laughs> yeah, um, they, they neutralised it. Yeah, that's good for them. That's yeah. nice. The question is, and honestly, I'm not going to pretend I'm a healthcare policy expert, is whether or not 3.5 percent is enough to make the kind of occasional howls of dismay which emanate from the NHS at the moment stop? Like, basically, is it enough to just make the problem go away? And if it's not, then the next election may well be about the NHS. If it is, obviously, if it, if, if it is enough, then that obviously is school one to the Tories. You're giving me a dubious look. I mean, it's not going to be because there's also, it's not just about funding, it's about the Lansley reforms. It's about so many other things, right? And it's also about the fact that Brexit is going to exacerbate staff shortages, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not just about money. No, although, I mean, this thing is right. They don't have to fit. Like The NHS doesn't have to be in even as good a state as they found it in 2010. It just needs to be, yeah, if they can hold it, if it's 2015 position, right? Yeah. Then maybe then it, yeah maybe it's just not a, an electorally salient issue. Of course, yeah. The I mean there are two. Well, I suspect that your uh, analysis of what the big problem with the Lansley reforms is that you know it's sinister privatization. <laughs> I'm so predictable. I'm yeah. so sorry, Stephen. Uh, but the the problem with it from a kind of accountability perspective, if you're Jeremy Hunt, is that because it created NHS England, this state body that is kind of a weird quango. He can't really pull levers in the way than any previous health secretary could, um, which means that he has the, well, he could take any credit if there was anything to take credit for, but he takes all of the blame but doesn't have, he basically they've, what the Tories have done is they've turned the health secretary into what the home office was until about 2006. I had this weird monster where the secretary of state sits there going, oh my God, everything is on fire, but I'm not allowed to like, do anything about the fire. Um, I think the interesting question is how much they do use this money partially to try and unpick some of the Lansley reforms. Yeah, that that will be interesting. Okay, but the most interesting thing about the Brexit dividend thing generally is why did she wrap up a really nice present for the NHS in the Brexit dividend? Why did she use that as a framing device? Well, I think... um... It's partly, isn't it, about getting the people on the Tory right who would usually be like, wait, more borrowing, wait, tax rises, to have a situation where they can't say no, right? The 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 one group of people who matter in terms of passing it in Parliament are Tory MPs. And the group of people who you would expect to stand up and go, oh, God, no, what are you joking? Can't go, oh, but there is no Brexit dividend, right? Like, they, they are the one group of people who is essentially forbidden from doing so. Although there is a very small group of people who um, want a soft Brexit or voted Remain, who are also uh, fiscally uh, austere within the Conservative Party, um, they are A, Philip Hammond and B, Liz Truss, neither of whom have all that much of a following. Yes, they are the finance ministers, but the two of them on their own can't, really force anyone not to do it that was why this this week we had that whole kind of philip hammond warns there is no money left which i mean was basically like something out of a bad parenting manual because basically he spent like you know like the can we have more money for the nhs no can we have more money for the nhs no and i was like but the one thing you're not getting is any more 
despite the fact that, of course, any parenting manual will tell you that. I don't understand why parenting manuals are my go-to <laughs> reference point this week. Uh, this is your poor analogy of the week. Yeah, this is the poor analogy of the week. But the mm. good analogy of the week will be coming later on in the podcast. Oh, wow. Um, I yeah. hope it's a football one. So that's so that's why uh, why Hammond has, uh, has, is, yeah, has been outmanned and why she did the Brexit dividend. I mean, I also, you know, obviously, like, you go out on the hashtag doorstep a lot more than... I or most people do. <laughs> More than you. Yes, um, I do. Go on it. Do you think that anyone normal will actually notice the Brexit dividend? No. And I think that's what's really interesting about this. No, what I mean, I know we're going to talk about um, some really sort of internal factions, completely invisible to anyone normal type stuff later on. But yeah, this is, I don't think anyone has noticed this. And that is why... We can see that, I mean, Theresa May here is talking to her own backbenchers, right? Uh, This is an announcement to her own party. And as usual, she's thinking more about party management than a kind of broader view of a Tory vision, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because I think to me the intriguing, yeah, kind of in terms of your sort of question about why would you wrap it up in this kind of horrible wrapping of the Brexit dividend. Because of her MPs. Yeah, is what is it that Philip Hammond is going to say when he stands up in in this autumn and he goes nhs spending will rise by x i mean so is he just going to go and here's some more borrowing is he going to go because i mean this is the thing is like it's a lot of money in terms of both government either government borrowing or government um revenue raising um and i think there is a although the idea of more money for the nhs is popular in theory i sort of think that They've had 10 years of, of yeah, they, they presided over close to a decade of low-wage, low-productivity growth. I don't think most households can actually very easily absorb a substantial tax increase anyway. Yeah, like the average private household is hugely over-leveraged in terms of both credit card and other forms of debt. The recovery you know, that, that sort of helped the Conservatives in 2015 was partially financed by effectively people going, screw it, I'm feeling a bit bleak, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, Get, get it on my credit card. It is not clear to me that even though people may support the tax rise when it's announced, just as obviously, you know, I don't think anyone has ever vox popped, or in your case, canvassed or vox popped. Obviously, you do both. Anyone has ever said, oh, I used to like Brexit, but now my wages have been squeezed by the what's happened to the pound, therefore I don't like Brexit. They've gone, Brexit's great. I'm angry with the government because my wages are squeezed. Yeah. And I can see how people will go, this NHS tax rise is, is great. However, I'm suddenly going broke and I'm annoyed with the government anyway. Mm, yeah. I mean, no one voted Brexit because they didn't believe there would be a sharp shock to the economy, did they? I, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't get that. What? So do you, you mean that people who voted Brexit expect there to be a sharp shock yeah, to the economy? Yeah, completely. That's, that, they've deprioritised that. But the interesting thing is, I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously a, a crucial, a large chunk of people who voted for Brexit do not exist in the real economy, as it were, right? They are pensioners who are largely but not exclusively, um, for one reason or another, unlikely to immediately feel an economic downturn. But I think the interesting thing about all of those polls of voters about whether or not they believed Brexit would lead to an economic shock is when you ask what well, that economic shock meant for them yeah which i mean obviously in some cases like if i'm a bankruptcy lawyer 
Um, and I go, do I think Brexit will mean an economic shock? Yes. Do I think this will be bad for my job? No, I'm correct. But in a lot of cases, I mean, it's like austerity, isn't it? Right. People voted for 12 billion pounds of welfare cuts. Yeah. And it turns out that since 2015, the government has not found a single penny. They have managed to pass some of them, but they haven't found a single penny that has been politically painless for them. Because it turned out, and when you asked people, are you into 12 billion pounds of welfare cuts, they went, yes. And then when you went, well, what about this welfare cut and that welfare cut? And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this was being taken from scroungers. And I don't see how the Brexit economic shock is going to be any different. So it depends where they get this from, right? So Labour is saying, yeah, actually, the Brexit dividend, not a thing, but we need to raise certain taxes, whatever. And they're talking about you know, the top 5%. And that's where we're going to raise that revenue from. So is that what the story should do? I mean, I'm... Will people accept, uh, absorb those tax rises if, <clears throat> well, actually, it's not them absorbing them, it's the top 5%. Well, the things I think, so the, the, the open question of, of funding Labour's future is whether or not the, how much was it that they raised by taxing people over the 70k band? Whether or not that the amount of money that is forecast in funding Labour's future would actually materialise, uh, or whether or not it, yeah, whether or not for one reason or another, uh, those assumptions about revenue don't hold. Um, but that is a lot politically easier to to pass than yeah. broad based rises on taxation. So if I were, you know, if I were a civil servant, someone asked me to come up with a list of easy tax rises, I would come with that. However. That's quite a hard tax rise for the Conservatives to pass in terms of the the structure of the House of Commons as it exists now. Um, All of the others are quite fraught for other reasons. A general rise on income tax hits against the problem that uh, I spoke about. Corporation tax, you could actually raise quite substantially and still be among the lowest in the G7. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, of course, as we all know, the, the government has, for a variety of reasons over a long period of time, heavily incentivized like two plumbers down the road to become like plumbing ink uh, and pay corporation tax rather than income tax. Now, the question I have is whether or not... Um, so let's say you hiked in uh, corporation tax by 7%, right? You got it you know, even back up to kind of where it was uh, when the coalition took office. Well, do you have a situation in which if you are um, plumbing ink, you go, actually, do you know what? I think I will de-incorporate. Uh, and then is the revenue gain slightly smaller than you expect? Is it actually a wash because you gain slightly different pension liabilities? Mm. And also businesses already angry with the way that Brexit is being handled. Yeah, and this is the thing, is is there... Because kind of the dog that hasn't barked is at the moment because businesses are, you know, to put it mildly, less than thrilled at the prospect of a Labour government. They haven't been as shrill about Brexit as they perhaps otherwise would have been. But obviously there is a boiling point uh, for that sort of relative silence about how they feel about how the government is approaching Brexit, which may be reached anyway if it looks like we're not going to have uh, a deal uh, in in outline by the end of the year. But um, I think it definitely goes up if you also have large corporation tax rises. And then you have the fact that because, and although like the, you know, the although Labour's working class problem is, is not, I think, necessarily among the type of voters who people think it is, right? He, the, um, so basically, Labour seems to have this hourglass coalition doing very well among professionals, people with degrees, and well among people in insecure zero-hours work, and doing badly among kind of well-paid manual professions, right? 
you know, van men, plumbers, etc., etc. But as that group in the middle of the hourglass becomes more important to the Conservative Electoral Coalition, their preferred tax rise in the past, VAT, becomes a lot more fraught for them, right? If if suddenly the path to a Conservative majority goes through Mansfield, um, Bishop Auckland, Newcastle under Lyme, then that's a lot more fraught. Of course, I suppose the other thing, the other way you could raise more money is you could legalise cannabis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So why is the Labour Party um, so timid on drugs? <laughs> uh, so there are MPs like... West Streeting, who say that their constituents would not be best pleased if we started going on the doorstep with a manifesto, you know, saying that we should legalise cannabis. They, a lot of MPs, have casework coming into their offices, constituents complaining about people in their blocks, people on their street, smoking weed and creating a nuisance. And that antisocial behaviour, those worries are... I think, why uh, Labour's so hesitant about backing legalising cannabis. Yeah. I mean, I do kind of think, like, this idea people have that it would move vote. Yeah, someone, I saw something like, yeah, like, Labour could get a bunch of votes by saying that they would legalise. I just thought, that doesn't seem true. But I also don't really buy that. I mean, I complain about people hotboxing my lift in my block of flats. In fact, I think I may have complained about it on this podcast before. <laughs> and I've definitely, uh, for guidance, when we talk, obviously, we talk a lot in this podcast about how one of the weird things about covering politics in Westminster is all of the journalists sit next to each other and they agree the line. Patrick is, of course, at his desk in Westminster, but my other desk colleague is, of course, replacing Helen this week. Mm. So you're actually seeing the group think <laughs> live on air. But, yeah, I, I may have complained about that on the podcast before. I've certainly complained about it uh, at our desk before. But, mm. but fundamentally, I, I'm, I'm pro-legalising most drugs. Yeah. I, I just would like, when I get home and I'm tired for the lift not to be stuck on the eighth floor because a bunch of teens are, like, are sitting there pressing all the buttons okay, to keep grandpa. it there. Okay, Grandpa, yeah, yeah. Um, but I also don't think that it's a good thing for those teenagers to end up with criminal records, ending up caught in a university of crime, for their habit to fund, you know, like, serious criminal behaviour, et cetera, et cetera, uh, people trafficking, and all of the things that um, the organised bits of the cannabis trade do do. But crucially, I'm not moving my vote because, you know, I, I, you know like cannabis is not, you know, is not a vote moving issue for me. I simply don't believe it's a vote moving issue for anyone. But the MPs who are complaining about this idea are obviously going to be a lot louder than the MPs who are really backing it. I mean, who, who are those people? Who are the people actually putting pressure on the leadership to back that? Well, I guess it is just so Jeff Smith has got his APPG on drug reform, mm -hmm. um, which is basically him and a bunch of... Going to festivals, hanging out with teens and testing. Yeah. He, he wrote an interesting piece about uh, testing at festivals. So being nice to people and giving them tests for yeah. drugs, which is a great idea. Yeah, it is. I mean... None at Labour Live, I must say. What, testing or No drugs? testing. Well, there were drugs. Uh, Maybe. I don't um... know. <laughs> And on that bombshell, <laughs> we'll move on to part two. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, so, Sienna, there were two reasons, of course, why I asked you to uh, join us this week. The first, of course, is that Helen is not here. And the second is that Labour is in the midst of very important internal elections and you are like the the, the king of Labour internal beef. Oh, thank you. Um, so Labour has... So tell us about, you know, firstly, what is the NEC? Right, the NEC is Labour's ruling body. How many times do we write that a week? I I think yeah the thing I find oddly depressing is whenever is there'll be some weeks when like several political parties around the globe in my free morning email will be having battles and I will occasionally realize that across the week I have look before 10 typed the words ruling national executive committee four mm-hmm. or four or five times because the last time there was beef on the NEC was also at the point when um the ANC was getting rid of Jacob Zuma and it was at the beginning of what is now the longest and most slow-moving scandal, which is the Shinzo Abe's... Um, the embattled. He is embattled. <laughs> he is heavily embattled. Um, I did really think he would have gone by now. It's this this slight weirdness, which, I mean, you obviously also do a free morning email. I do. I was going to plug it myself, but thanks. Um, yeah, uh, which is obviously focused uh, on the Labour Party. The thing that you don't have because you don't have smalls is this continual fear of whether or not you've introduced something early enough. And I really did think the first time I did Shinzo Abe's um, cronyism scandals that he would be gone quite quickly and that therefore I was slightly worried that I had not introduced, you know, because you always have that slight fear of like, you know, which actually this is kind of one of the things I've had with to hark back to a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. Cannabis. Cannabis. <laughs> yeah, that kind of day one I missed the Alfie Coldway thing. thing. I thought day two, like, okay, I'll just, I'll just act as if I hadn't. Day two I forgot as well. And day two <laughs> was like, it's too late now. Well, it- I, I just did it two weeks later. I just shamelessly, yeah, I just did it out of the blue two weeks yeah. later. Don't um, care. Yeah, so similarly, I just went, Sajid Javid has announced and there are, there will be a review. This is the first time that I have mentioned. But this thing is, it is, you kind of, I think the thing, the thing that is the sort of most um, mortifying to get wrong is that is this going to be a thing calculation? Mm. Because when you get it wrong and it's not a thing, which I must reluctantly conclude is true of Shinzo Abe, um, it's fine. When you get it wrong and it is a thing, you have this weird thing that you kind of have to do quite a hefty bit of previously on that mm. you otherwise wouldn't have had to do. But anyway, away from how much we have to type <laughs> the words um, ruling NEC, yes. um, there are elections for the nine posts elected by ordinary members. Yes. Uh, Labour's NEC, and let me see if I can get this right, is elected by the various sort of power brokers slash groups within the Labour Party. So lay members elect nine, affiliated societies like the Fabians, LGBT, Labour, you know, reefers for Labour uh, elect uh, uh, a single member. Mm-hmm. The PLP elect three members, councillors elect two members, and the trade unions elect the remainder. Am I forgetting any other blocks? I don't think so. 
Well, um, if we have forgotten them, please send uh, your abuse to... To Stephen, not me. To <laughs> at Stephen KB and at Sienna Marla. No, not that second one. Um, okay, so nominations. So, right. The nine posts that are up at the moment that we're talking about, uh, are they are representing constituency Labour parties, CLPs. Um, so that's ordinary members, basically. And CLPs have been nominating who... Uh, who they'd like to elect so out of so the nine people that they'd like to put on the NEC um and those nominations aren't binding in any way but they are indicative of who's going to win and also candidates have to get at least five of those nominations in order to be on the ballot paper right and one of them has to be their home CLP right so who is definitely on the ballot paper right so we've got first up (laughs) The Progress and Labour First slate. Do you want me to list all the candidates? Oh, no, you don't have to list all nine yeah. men. Just, you know, and that's men and women. That You, know, you don't have to do some kind of, you know, Seven Dwarf style songs, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, just, no, just... I'm not, I'm not going to sing. Yeah, so we've got Progress, Labour First slate. Obviously, that's the Corbyn Skeptic slate. Then we've got the uh, Momentum slate, but actually it's not, the momentum slate. Some people are getting a bit annoyed about it being called that because I keep referring it <laughs> to the slate in that way. It's it's the momentum back slate, but also CLPD, Labour Party Democracy, also CLGA, Grassroots Alliance, also, I mean, Jewish Voice for Labour, I mean, all sorts of left-wing groups. So it's basically variegated Corbynites. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. But there's also... But there's also some independence. So the... The, I mean, the really interesting person in this race I'd like to talk about is Anne Black. So she was dropped from the momentum slate because there is a big row over how she voted in terms of the freeze date uh, for members' eligibility in the 2016 leadership election. Obviously, she strongly refutes uh, the claims made by some momentum activists that she voted for the six-month eligibility freeze date which excluded a lot of new members from voting in that leadership election. And I have to say that because Anne is, you know, quite insistent that we that we include her side of the story every single time. Because apparently the fact that Jeremy Corbyn walked out the room in that NEC meeting meant that her proposal, which was a shorter freeze date, uh, didn't go through. So it wasn't her fault. Anyway, she was dropped from the momentum slate and now she's only backed by Open Labour, which is a soft left group. And the soft left are coming back. <laughs> they are finding their feet again. And apart from that, we've got some independents. We've got Eddie Azard and we've got Stephen Stanners. And they've both got the nominations to stand. They have. There are some others who are struggling to get the five nominations, but they may do. In terms of the nominations so far, it, am I, I'm correct in saying uh, that it looks as if momentum slash CLGA slash CLPD, the, the left slate will hold on to all of the nine seats. Yeah, it, it holds all of the nine membership seats and it looks likely to retain all nine next time. Yeah, that's conventional wisdom. I mean, they are absolutely smashing it in terms of nominations, obviously. But Anne Black is usually, obviously it goes up and down, but usually only around 10 nominations behind the last person on the uh, momentum slate. So... I mean, she could scrape on and that would be really interesting. She's building a really interesting coalition of support. So that she's got support, obviously, openly by by Open Labour. But she's also getting the votes of uh, Progress and Labour First members. 
who are kind of doing a bit of tactical voting because um, they know that she's got a chance and basically their candidates are unlikely to get any places in the NEC. But they would totally see it as a victory if she got on, even though obviously she's a you know veteran left winger, has supported Corbyn for many, many years. But they would see that as success. Because in some ways, the, the reason why she was kicked off is partly about the freeze day, but also because she is a swing voter on the NEC. Yeah, she's an independent thinker. Yeah. Politics being politics, you would assume that if you try to kick someone off and they get back on, they are slightly more likely to swing against you than for you in the future. Um, and obviously one of the other factors that helps her is that some people will vote for all women because people... I mean, so in the past, Labour members didn't treat the NEC elections as that important. And the thing that Momentum was really struggling with before the coup started in 2016 was explaining to people why the NEC mattered and why they had to vote for the Corbyn-backed candidates. Then the yeah. coup happened and that um, illustrated essentially why the NEC mattered. Yeah. Is there any evidence that Labour members are returning to their sort of pre-coup patterns of being more promiscuous in terms of how they vote across slates, other than Anne Black's success? I mean, I think that's what this NEC election is going to show. That's gonna, that is the interesting thing about this. Yeah, are they becoming more independent thinkers? I think what's really interesting as well is, is this open Labour uh, group and what's happening there. So we saw a bit of it at Labour Live as well and all these tensions around Brexit, basically. So the soft left are now kind of gaining ground because they are positioning themselves as pro-Corbyn, pro-EU, even though the, the Labour leader has been Eurosceptic uh, or his time in Parliament. But ignoring that... They are supportive of Corbyn and they want to back, certainly a soft Brexit at least. And whether that line is convincing a lot of members, because we know the membership is is exactly that. It fits that description. It's pro-Corbyn and pro-EU, right? Yeah. So Pro-cake and pro-eating cake. Um, well, yeah. I mean, actually, who isn't pro-eating cake? But um, exactly. yeah, so that, I guess, is the interesting test. Will so be... they're partnering up with people like TSSA, which is now, uh, you know, it's launching a campaign this week um, for a people's vote on Brexit, another referendum. So, yeah, that's going to be really interesting as to, you know, Manuel Cortes, he's, he's very supportive of Corbyn, and yet he is going against the party line on Brexit. So do you think, um, you know, obviously there's a couple of, there's a month or so to go, two months, how long till the NEC elections announced? Right, so... Ballots dropped by post on 26th of July. Um, and very shortly, the next couple of days, we're going to get some emails asking us to opt in as members to getting email ballots, uh, which obviously the party wants because it costs less money. Right, so ballots will drop on the 26th of July. So there's still a long way to go. But yeah. in your opinion, what do you think the most likely outcome of these NEC elections? I mean, the uh, programme been slate uh, backed by Momentum etc are probably going to take all nine positions but you know Anne Black does have a chance here right so whatever happens there will be nine Corbyn supporters on there whether or not they are nine official Corbyn supporters is the thing to watch thank you very much and now it's time for a section we like to call oh you want me to do the Helen thing that annoys you yeah it's a it's a routine yeah <laughs> You ask us. Thank you. 
for that. The question is, in case you haven't seen, the Labour Party has announced that it has four tests for Heathrow expansion. And the four tests are, does it raise our CO2? Does it help uh, economic growth outside London and the South? Does it have bad environmental consequences locally? And a fourth one, oh, does it increase expansion? So does, oh, yeah, does it does it successfully expand capacity? Yeah. Um, And they're saying it's failed all four of them. Now, to be frank, I don't quite understand Labour's rationale for it having failed the fourth test, but the Labour Party has decided, despite the fact that it fails all of these, these tests, then this will be the subject of a free vote, and they believe that all of the other parties should similarly have a free vote on Heathrow. The question that I was going to say, the question we're getting, actually, I mean, really is a question that I, a boring anti-Heathrow person, <laughs> am, am asking, Why? Mm. You're asking me, you're doing this, ask us. Yes, I also have an opinion, but yeah, the you ask us is from me, from S. Bush, you know. To S. Bush and Sienna. Okay. Why is it calling for a free vote? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah, so obviously both main parties are divided over Heathrow. It's a really tricky one. Um, We've got a really large chunk of the Labour movement uh, in the form of trade unions um, particularly Unite, which is powerful within the Labour Party, who are really supportive of Heathrow expansion. You know, they're talking about how many tens of thousands of jobs that are going to be created, economic boost. You know, they're fighting for their members. So obviously they have a presence within the Labour Party and the leader's office, and, th- you know, they're fighting for Heathrow expansion. But next to Jeremy, we've got John McDonnell, the Shadow Chancellor, who has literally got Heathrow Airport in his constituency and of course, I'm sure he gets lots and lots of constituents uh, asking him to oppose it. And he has therefore been campaigning against the third runway for many years. He says it's never going to happen. That's his prediction. Yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of, I mean, when you talk to a lot of environmentalist groups, although they are, to put it mildly, not thrilled, not least because, of course, a large chunk of people who came into the Labour Party during the Corbyn surge, including people who worked various shadow cabinet members, including in the leader's office, came into politics through various environmental movements. They are, to put it mildly, not thrilled that the Labour Party has decided that its opinion on this is a shrug. But because the SNP are pro-Heathrow, it doesn't really matter. And they also think it won't be built because the reason why investors don't put, won't, they think investors won't put money down is the fear that it will be cancelled by an incoming Labour government. Yeah, I mean, I think, although I am annoyed by it, right, it's not a decision I agree with, I do think it's quite a elegant way of finessing the problem, which is the the parliamentary party is mildly split on it. I don't think most pro-expansion MPs actually care enough to break a whip. But, you know, the, the parliamentary party is, is mildly split on it and the trade union movement is very split on it. And it does, I think, finesse those divides quite well. I do just think in, in general, like, we actually should be getting rid of Heathrow. It's too close to a major population centre. Demand follows demand, right? Like, at some point, you know, you have to... You, you do just have to go, look, if we want to reduce our carbon emissions and to make our air cleaner in London, we are we have decided that we are not going to have this major airport near a population centre. And I do just think it's, uh, yeah, I just think it's a shame. Are you only doing staycations from now on then? No, I actually don't. I don't like flying. Oh, my God. Are you scared of flying? No, I'm not scared of flying. I just don't okay. enjoy it. I'm not, you know. So for guidance, like literally in our podcast catacomb, like, the editor of Labour List's feet are not touching the ground on her her chair. 
Like she is. This is literal she is, bullying she on is the tiny. podcast. Um, I am not tiny. Right? I do not like flying because as well as it killing the planet, oh, it's yeah, really you're really uncom- fussy about small spaces and your legs. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't like it. But But obviously can we just acknowledge here that obviously Labour doesn't isn't saying that they're doing this to finesse their, you know, their oh, no, they've, I mean <laughs> yeah. they're they're saying so they're not only uh, holding a free vote themselves, they're not going to whip NPs against it, even though it's failed the four tests. They're also calling for all parties to hold a free vote, um, and they they're saying that that's going to encourage Tory rebels if Theresa May did that, which obviously she's not going to. It comes back to one of the interesting things, which is just how do you assess? I guess yeah, the big problem, uh, the biggest problem, of course, is you know pro Europeans in the Labour Party, right? Because they're in an utterly wretched position. They've basically lost every crucial battle. It's very easy to critique their tactics, but it's a lot harder to come up with a, a positive alternative. And ditto with this, it's quite hard to... I really don't like it, but given Unite's influence within the top of the Labour Party, I don't really know what else I would advise if I were through some weird series of, of odd choices and poor choices on a variety of people's part. I was asked by Jeremy Corbyn to resolve this problem from here. I think the one thing it does show to return to Labour Live uh, before uh, we say goodbye to you is that Unite got a lot of stick for uh, the amount of money and time they put into making Labour Live not the disaster it looked like it was going to be in, you know, yeah, how many weeks ago. But ultimately, that level of support means that they have guaranteed for their members that if there is a Labour government led by Jeremy Corbyn, it is not going to do what we all know Jeremy Corbyn's political instincts would be to do, which is to, in my view, rightly say, no, 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 you're not getting a third runway. And that actually is quite a good day at the office for Unite. Yeah. I mean, this is the Labour Party to prioritise jobs, you know. (sighs) Disgusting. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much for joining us. And I'm sure we will have you back next time I or Helen is, you know, in Marbella or wherever it is she is. (laughs) Has she taken a flight to get there? I am. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, and Labour List editor Sienna Rogers. This week's podcast was recorded by me, Stephen Bush, so apologies in advance for any errors, bad sound, weird clapping noises on the mic. Fixing all of that was our podcast producer, Caroline Crampton. If you've enjoyed this podcast, there's a variety of NS podcasts you can listen to, including the World Cup podcast with me and the gaffer, Jason Cowley, our culture podcast, The Back Half, our pop culture podcast, Seriously and our City Metric podcast, Skylines. Our music is Devil by the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. <laughs>